I'm just yeah, I'm just barely recuperating. I have Monday. I I had no voice at all. So I'm, I was thinking, man, I hope I get my voice back. It's not. Welcome everyone, this is another episode of That Record Got Me High I'm your host Rob Elba As always, it's wonderful having you all here with me I'm really excited because I have a returning guest to the show Probably, I think, one of the most mo- what's, the, what's the word, what should I say, Steve? The most appearances, uh, I guess uh, he's, he's had the most appearances On, on the show And this is, we, we got him at a really special time because well, there's there's a lot going there's a lot going on with his life. There's transitions uh, going on with his life. So, uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome you know him from Big Zipper, Volcano Sons, Dump Truck. Uh, he just completed Steve's Random Record Collection Countdown, which anyone who's friends with him on Facebook or is a member of that knows this is some ex- exciting shit that's been going on. You know, exciting is relative these days, Steve. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's exciting to us. Uh, he's preparing for his new life as a cranky expatriate uh, soon. So I'd like to welcome back to the show, Steve Michener. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Hey, thanks, Rob. Great to be back, as always, for my annual uh, birthday extravaganza. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. So when uh, actually, <laughs> when is your birthday? Last week. Oh, it was last week. Oh, well, happy birthday. I, don't, I can't remember yeah. if I wish you. I, I don't think I wish you a happy birthday. I don't, I don't, do, my face, I don't do my birthday on Facebook. Oh, um, right. Yeah, smart. Participate in that stuff, and that's that's not what Facebook is for. Right. All right. So real quick, I mentioned it, but explain I explained to everyone maybe who, who isn't on, on that already uh, what Steve's random record collection countdown was, what you were doing. Well, sometime back in January of this year, I was looking at my albums. As you mentioned, I'm going to be moving overseas for a few years. And I was looking at the albums, and I realized I've been kind of neglecting them. And <clears throat> so I decided to play them all one per night. Um, at the same time, I was thinking, Oh, I, I gotta get, I, I want to start writing. I want to do like some sort of like memoir, or at least for myself, uh, or my kids when, um, you know, when, and if I die to have some <laughs> stories about their dad. And so I, uh, my dog is scratching. Um, so I decided to, uh, combine all that, the listening and the writing, and um, 
ended up committing myself to writing about one album a day. Um, I have over 300 albums, but I managed to pare it down to 288. And I basically just wrote about the album and what it was, how I discovered it, who introduced it to me, where I was in my life when that um, record came out and how it kind of intertwined with my with my life. Yeah. And it was I, I mean, and it was something you probably didn't realize or maybe didn't think it through like, oh, shit, this is like a major thing I'm doing because I can have to do this every goddamn day. No, I mean, it was great. We all loved it. But it was he didn't just say, oh, this is the record and blah, blah, blah. He, you know, he, he went into it and, and, it, and he, he gave you stories about how you, you know, found the record and, and you know, you, what it meant to you or maybe what it didn't mean to you because not all records, uh, they weren't all records that you necessarily loved. But there were records that somehow or another ended up in your collection. Yeah, I ended up selling a lot of records. Like thousands of records must have passed through my fingers right, right. over the decades. And somehow I ended up with these records, which turned out to be like a very random kind of weird right. collection of stuff. And sometimes I'd be like, oh, wow, I have that. And way too many uh, Joni Mitchell. Not that there's anything wrong with Joni Mitchell, but just <laughs> way too many for you compared to you know uh, other groups that could have been there. Yeah, I know. It was very weird, but um, but it was educational and... Uh, you know, it was just kind of a, uh, you know, an ex exploration of where I came from and um, seen kind of seen through the, the lens of these records, which were, you know, really meant a lot to me back then, back when vinyl, you know. Back in the old days when you bought vinyl record, I guess that's the new days too. Yeah, but it's it's not the same thing. Totally. I don't know. Not totally different, but it is really different now. Um, it's more expensive. It's much more. Yeah, that's true. It's much more expensive. But I guess, I mean, even then, like you had mentioned, buying records sometimes was a, a thing you had to make a decision. You know, boy, could you buy this? Should you buy this record? Because it's money. You know, it's not like you had a lot of disposable cash. Um, right. And so it was a big deal. But yeah, I think all of us were really impressed with how much you remembered of this stuff that happened like 30 years ago. It's like amazing to us. And really, it, it, it was really fun to read and to go back with you and to discover. So the album that you're talking about, which by the way, Steve, between the last year and here, he's changed like uh, five or six times what record he was going to do. But uh, it ended up just recently a record that you talked about recently and then ended up, you know what? Uh, I'm going to talk about this record and it's really kind of, uh, and, it, and it's cool how you, I mean, it's interesting because your story about, how you felt about it before you heard it and you came about it is not the same as my story. It's different and it's interesting, but good. What are we talking about? We're talking about the Sex Pistols, our one and only studio album, Never Mind the Bullets. That's it. And me and you, we figured out, me and you both had the uh, U.S. version, right? The, the right. Warner Brothers U.S. one, which came out in 77, November 77. That sounds right. Yeah, I bought it when it was new in the store. Newish. Right. Now, you're all right. So explain to everyone you were. I mean, you were already a huge music fan, but you were a Beatles fan. You were like a huge Beatles fan. Right. I had um, started out as a in high school listening to the Beatles with my friend Paul, and it kind of grew into like a Beatles fascination and then a Beatles obsession. You know, if you break my heart, I'll go, but I'll be back again. I told you once before goodbye, but I came back again. I love you and, so. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever collected records, like tried to be a completist, and 
Um, and choosing the Beatles is probably the most you know, futile <laughs> right. job that uh, you can do. But anyway, I became a Beatles collector. Um, but then, and I, I'd have to look at the dates, but, you know, as I started to become more aware of other music outside of the small world of the Beatles, and I think I must have discovered Elvis Costello, and that kind of put, you know, this new wave punk British invasion thing on my radar. Now that your pictures in the paper being perfectly admired, you can have one that you have ever desired. All you gotta tell me now is wow, 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 wow. Welcome to the working week. Um, but Sex Pistols came about in a, in a kind of a weird way because, I mean, I think, yeah, because I think it would have been. Uh, our lives would have been different, I think, if the Sex Pistols had actually shown up for their um, Saturday Night Live appearance. Oh, right, right. Because they were the ones who were supposed to be on, and um, instead it was Elvis Costello. Um, so, yeah, because they had trouble getting, I think, had trouble getting into the country. Right. <laughs> the tour. Um, anyway, so I missed that, but another television show, um, like a month or two later was that I saw the Sex Pistols were featured on the Boston, in a suburb of Boston at the time. I was probably 17 years old. And they, they did a news story on this punk rock band who was coming to the United States. And they had footage, I think, from one of their shows down south, which was just like, you know, it seemed like the most chaotic thing. And they were, the newscasters were mocking this band. And, and I was like, wow, that is really strange. You know, that's, that's unlike anything I've ever seen. But um, <clears throat> but the next time I went to a record store, I saw the record that they were talking about, um, which was this, you know, as, you, uh, as your copy is like a garishly colored cover. Right. really stands the, out. It really stands yeah. out, like <laughs> if you're looking in the bins. And I must have been feeling rich that week because I thought, oh, this would be funny. I'll buy this record. And, you know, it's kind of like, a, to me, it was like a novelty record. It right, was, right. Was, That's what you said. <laughs> It was priced uh, a couple bucks lower than the average price of uh, records that time for some reason, so it must have already been like a cutout um, of some sort. And um, so I bought it, I brought it, bought it, and I listened to it and didn't know what to make of it. And then I, I actually brought it into school and I was like showing it to people. I was like, look at this thing. This is like, <laughs> like this some artifact that you could be on and uh, yeah, so but then I brought it to my friend Alec, who is a big music fan and a musician, a longtime friend of mine from grade school. And I put it on for him, and he loved it. He just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And, um, but he actually appreciated the music. And I was like, oh, okay, well, if Alec likes it, then maybe I should be treating this record with more respect. And then, you know, obviously as time went on, and punk rock uh, became a bigger part of my life. I realized how important this record was, and then I came to appreciate how great these songs were. And, um, and like I said, when I covered it, it came up on my uh, random record collection countdown a couple months ago. And it was really kind of moving, like writing about it, remembering it, and then the group talk about it and how people including yourself had come to the record and it was it just made me realize that it was such an important record and it's such a great record that still held up like not every record i i played 
that I listened to over the course of this 10 month um, Facebook project that I did held up. But this right. one really did. This one really did. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's amazing how just sound wise, how it's still great. It still sounds, you know, some records, even though they're great, but they're maybe dated, a little dated production wise, whatever. But it's just amazing. Right how great it sounds. And that's, I mean, a lot of that is because of the producer, because they had a real producer, like the Chris Thomas and Bill Price, right? Yeah, yeah. Chris Thomas, of course, went on to do, or had done, like, Roxy Music, and um, even done, worked on Pink Floyd's Pink Dark Floyd, Side. right, yeah. <laughs> but also went on to do great records, like Pretenders for his record. Yeah. Lots of other stuff. So, yeah, like, and it's amazing that they had such a real producer, and I think, um, you know, it was, it was, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the, that is one of the big things. Yeah, and, and, and also the fact that it's their only record. They did the one record, and that's it. That, that kind of adds to, the, adds to it all. Yes. You know? Um, all right, so what, what was it originally, though, when you didn't quite get it right away and you thought it was almost like funny, a joke? What, what, was it, was it uh, Johnny's voice? Was it Johnny Rotten's yeah, voice? Yeah, I mean... I mean, the, I think the lyrics really stood out. Like, um, I remember, like, we were we would laugh hysterically at uh, "We're so pretty, oh so pretty, vacant." Right. I'm a lazy sod, and our favorite line was, um, which became kind of a standard joke for us. Was, we mean it, man. Yeah. <laughs> See, I guess I was thinking why, and I think it's because you're a little older than me. You're not much, but you're a little older than me. So you were a little more sophisticated. You were an older teen, so you could you you had already that that sense of irony where you could sort of say, "Oh, well, what are these guys doing?" You know, and that. But but me, I was a little younger, and I was already I was already into punk because, uh, as I've said before in the podcast, I got the Ramones' first album like almost pretty soon after mm. it came out, just by accident because a friend's uh, brother had given it to him, and he hated it, and he said, "Do you want this record? It's horrible." <laughs> So I got it, and then I I had already gotten their second one, Leave Home, when I got this. But my thing with the Sex Pistols was I read about them, and I, I should have looked it up. It's, it was either Newsweek or Time, I forget. Had a, Much like what you saw, but it was an article, but it was about punk, you know, and it was, uh, you know, uh, painting it as like this scary, horrible thing, and they were vomiting on people and stuff, and shoving, you know, safety pins in their cheeks. And to me, it's scary. it sounded scary to me. You know, I was scared of it. <laughs> Yes. You yeah, hear Johnny Rotten. He, right. I mean, his voice truly was frightening in a, in a in a real way. I mean, there's no other voice like that. Right. 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 Yeah. But I did like you. I took a chance. I saw it, and and I got it. But I was scared. But I remember just when I put it on, I was immediate. I was on board right away. <laughs> I just was. Well, I just yeah. I mean, I. I, I was surprised that I was expecting something more chaotic, I think. And to right. me, it sounded, you know, obviously by 1978 standards, it sounded fast and snotty. But the band, when you broke it down to the band, it was fairly, you know, not traditional. but well, kind of <laughs> straight ahead, kind of straight ahead rock and yeah. roll. Yeah. And I think, you know, it really took me a while or it took me a while because I think you, when you go into a record with the perception, you know, this out, you know, this preconception of the band right. and the record, and then it's so different from what you expected. 
that that I think that was where the disconnect was, and it took somebody outside of the of my situation to say, no, no, really listen to this. This is, <laughs> this is really doing something interesting. Right, right. And I was just, I guess the difference I mean, I was relieved that it didn't, that it sounded something I could grab onto and said, oh man, I like this. You know, it's heavy. And then um, bodies, when I'm listening to bodies and it's like, what he's singing about and he's cursing and shit. And it's like, I'm thinking, oh, you know, I loved, at that time I'm thinking, oh, anything that my parents are going to hate, I'm going to love, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so your parents did come in and like uh give you dirty looks when the records had uh swearing or <laughs> no no because they didn't they, they were kind of doing their own thing a lot of times so they didn't really pay much attention to what i was listening to but it was just the idea thinking if they did come in here they would be horrified appalled you know that, <laughs> that obviously you're a punk rocker at heart robert Elba. <laughs> I guess that was a selling point for me. And <laughs> and also the fact, I appreciate it because I was just, at that time I was just learning, I wanted to be in a band, I was just learning guitar and I gravitated towards things that I could maybe figure I could play easier. You know, I was like, well, I could play, yeah. I already know how to play bar chords, you know, I could probably mm -hmm. do this. Like, well, you know, that's why I didn't listen to like Rush or any of that stuff because it was nothing I could ever play. Exactly. Although we both did listen to Sticks, but I think it, you know. That's true. But it was, it, that was just for the pure joy of listening to Sticks though. I never... <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't musicianship for me it was all about the song right. but you're right it's like uh three chords most for the most part and you know if uh steve jones could learn it then um yeah know, good too which he i i feel like he is there there's a lot on this record that make it amazing and, and or just great and and part of it's uh steve jones the fact that he he hadn't been a guitar player for that long but he got he he like was so good at what he did on this you know his playing and i think some of that was the producers too they had him double his parts triple his parts right. which <laughs> add a lot to it but you know you got to give him credit and he's also playing based on based on all the songs yes. You know, a lot of respect for a guitarist who's willing to. I mean, the, the situation forced him into right, that. Right, right. <laughs> Matt Lockett left and Sid Vicious couldn't play the songs. But um, no, he could yeah, not. I mean, Sid Vicious could not play. Just to, just for anyone who's wondering, because it says partial. <laughs> if you look at the credit, like, oh, he played on the two newer songs, Bodies and, and uh, what was it? Uh, Holidays in the Sun or whatever they think he played on. Yeah, he did. But then Steve played bass too and yeah. they turned down uh Sid Vicious's bass and you it's Steve exactly. so yeah and I mean it's uh, I got a lot of respect for the guy because you know the guitar is easy but playing the bass is hard <laughs> well yeah that's the, the that's where the true magic comes in we all know that <laughs> <laughs> and then um uh, Paul Cook just on drums just a just a solid you know such a great solid heavy hitting drummer and that's such a big part of this too you know yeah it's 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 i mean the fact that the band came together at all it's it's i mean part of this is like reading the history and part of it is watching a, a bit of that pistols uh, pistols show on hulu um, which I, which I really enjoyed. What do you think of it? I really enjoyed it. And uh, a fact of yeah, obviously it's not you know it, it's a biopic, and I'm sure a lot of it's yeah. whatever bullshit. But I I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. Yeah, no, I thought it was fun, and uh, you know, it's just I mean, how often do we get to have like a a good director, someone who understands the music, cover a band that we like, right, and have have it be on high production quality and decent acting and on hulu i know and and enough of it is is true where the, the it's just it's it's so funny that a main a major part of the sex pistol story is they're basically 
like a boy band in a way, like a manufactured boy band, you know, yes, that Malcolm yes. McLaren did, which is... And I was so lucky. It's like McLaren thought he was genius, but, uh, or probably considered himself a genius yeah. for doing this, but they were just so lucky. I mean, to find Rotten in, you know, in, in that, to find someone like that who really had no experience singing. Right. And to put them together with the, that band of musicians who could actually like match his energy but there's there's you know as good as the the band is without um rotten's particular snarling sneering uh, oh yeah it just probably uh, wouldn't have been anything or it could have been horrible you know it just would have been someone you know bleeding screaming nothing it would have been horrible unlistenable but something he had this yeah you're right it was just like you know, some kind of weird fate that he happened to fall in there. And it was like the perfect person at the perfect time to make this one perfect album. Right. Right. And it became a, you know, a blueprint or, or a manifesto for the rest of the punk bands. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's so funny still to this day, people will say, Oh, well he can't sing. And it's like, to me, Oh my God. It, it's like, he's brilliant in what he does. Whatever he does with his voice is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. It's and there's a lot of singers, um, uh, maybe not a lot, but there's there's a fair amount of singers who are not technically good singers, but oh yeah, that's probably more so singer. the people we like too. You know, the bands we like. Yeah, a lot. well, I think you know Morrissey was probably would probably not have worked out in any other band. Right, right, exactly. Smiths, you know, you got to find the, the it's matching the, the voice with the band, and uh, in this case, um, you know, he he had the perfect uh, working class brain to to uh, to match the moment of like what was happening in England. And yeah. Yeah. And also. Right. And 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 just the you know, the the lyric. And, and also we have to say uh, Glenn Matlock was a big part because, you know, I'm sure he his, his hand was in most of these songs. And that's why, you know, they're so catchy and memorable. And that's a big part of it. And obviously it was because they never once he was gone, that was it, you know. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. So uh yeah, yeah, the bass never never underestimate the bass player. I know, but see, but I could also commiserate with them. Oh yeah, he's great, but he's still a pain in the ass and no one wanted to be in a band with him. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, it's so true. <laughs> right? Um all right, so let's let's start listening to this album. Oh, one thing I wanted to ask you before we start, was your album was your record like thick like really really thick um you know i try to look for it um and i don't think so that no. doesn't um, for some reason mine was as thick it was like one of these new the ones you get that are the extra thick albums like the 120 something that's what mine was mine was like i don't know i don't oh, have wow. it here my daughter Corey in california has it now so she has it but yeah it was thick one of the thickest albums i ever got and i just always thought that was interesting interesting i'll have to go back i did not notice that when it, I put it, it might it have just the been the the run that i got you know whatever the run of them i got but um yeah i always loved that because i felt the the heft of it matched uh the heft of the uh <laughs> of the songs all right so let's listen to the opening track this is to a little bit of holidays in the sun
So just the way he he rolls the R on, I want to see some history. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's just like I, I get goosebumps from that, and I feel like that's directly why. You remember, you, you know how like later on, like in the, in the '90s and stuff, so many punk bands they'd sing with like these English, sort of fake like English accents. I, I swear they're all just just aping him. Yeah, no, I, I know there was that whole like Green Day. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. That's just what I was thinking. I think they just thought, you know, it just sounded so cool that they wanted to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing uh, way to start the album with the marching. And, uh, you know, the theme of it, I can't really get my arm around. (laughs) Well, I think you read the inspiration, right? That was him and Sid were in Berlin. They like just were spending a couple of weeks in Berlin. And they were, you know, their views over the Berlin Wall into communist East Berlin. And, you know, it was just sort of musing on that. But yeah, but the song doesn't stick on any one thing. It's just sort of all over the place. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I I had that experience, too. I got to go to the Berlin Wall. Oh, okay, Nice. And I have a picture of me looking over the wall with them looking back at me. Oh, nice. Awesome. (laughs) But when you go to England, they have those adverts in the the tube, as they say. Right. Um, They all do. They still say holidays in the sun. I mean, it's a big deal to get out of England and... Of course, I wouldn't choose Berlin if I was going to look for a holiday in the sun myself. Right. But. <laughs> I know. I just love just picturing uh, Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious on holiday anywhere, you know, is, is, <laughs> is funny. But you're a, a Steve. I know you're a huge jam fan, right? Yes. Because I didn't I think I got into the jam after this. So it, this does sound like in the city, like a slowed down version of in the city, at least the chord. But I don't think I ever realized it until I was reading about it. And I never like picked up on it. Yeah, so these guys must have been the same time because the Jammer, um, the first Jam record came out in 77. Oh yeah, no, they were. Sid, there is, there's a, a thing where I guess Sid had a run-in with Paul Weller, where Sid was just sort of saying, oh, we nicked your In the City, because, you know, don't, don't forget, this This was written oh. a little later. We nicked your, uh, you know, in the, your your stupid song for our We Have a Much Better Song. <laughs> Yeah, like you said, in such a great way with the marching to open up the record. And then, so this, our version is, the, the U.S. version, they changed the order, which happened, I know you, in reading your, your thing, your record thing, that happened with the Beatles records all the time, right? Yes, I can't believe that they, like, constantly, I mean, what... It just seems like the record companies just felt like they needed something to do with these. Yeah, I guess things. because what what difference does it make from one country to another? What song, you know, what order? But yeah, they did. This that. would have been a huge album. It would have been right. a million stellar page. But we do get uh, "Bodies Second, which is the song, like I said, that completely got me on board. The lyric, I'm, you know, listening with my jaw down, just saying, "Oh my God!" You know, what is he singing? Uh, it's awesome. We'll talk about it, but let's listen to a little bit of Buddy. Team 
So you know, you've, you've heard the story that this is about a, a real person that he knew, right? Yeah, and I think they 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 kind of over. I think they dramatized it in the Hulu show, but yep. um, yeah. At first, I thought like you know because we didn't have the internet back then, and and so I was like, okay, is like there weren't. I didn't have a lot of albums or songs that were about abortions back no. then. <laughs> no. Like, is he anti-abortion? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty, I mean, it's pretty, I know they were trying to be shocking, but it's pretty outspoken for the times to make, uh, you know, even if it is like uh, more of a, you know, a first, a second person account of, of something. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty, and, and he has said it's not, it's not one or the other, it's kind of both. Which I, and, and you know, when you read about him, you, you, obviously his persona is not completely him and he's actually a very empathetic person you know he puts he, he yeah, could also be yeah. horrible but he's a you know he's an empathetic yeah. person and he's obviously he's very intelligent but um yeah it, it's never it's rarely just a black and white for him in uh, real life yeah. but the um the highlight for that uh, of that song for me is when it stops and slows down and then they come back in with the fuck this and oh fuck yes that. yes exactly there's another uh, favorite yeah, yeah, it's just so, and, and I remember having, like, I would have friends over, and I would play it for them, I'd go listen to this, and it would either, you know, it would horrify them, but they'd either be on board, or they probably wouldn't hang around with me anymore, you know? Yeah. It, it might have been, I, I don't remember what the song was that first, you know, the one that really clicked first, but it might have been this one just because the subject matter was so gripping. And... Right, right, yeah, it is, it, yeah, it, 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 it just is. I mean, it, no, like I said, it was it was terrifying. It, it like felt it, it both repulsed me and it intrigued me. You know, <laughs> yes, like those horror movies, like those yeah. really disgusting horror movies. Yeah, we weren't getting that from more than a feeling. You know, or a Boston. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to uh, all you young kids out there. It's hard to you know imagine how big an impact a record like this because somebody like Rotten comes along once in a lifetime and just yeah to go from come sail away and more than a feeling and you know what was the mccartney album at this time it was like you know venus and mars right to bodies is, is just like whoa it is because now obviously with what's come after that it's not you know if a young person hears it they go oh, wow that's cool that's great but yeah it can't have the same impact as it did for uh, for people like us that there was no precedent for it at all you know right because this band influenced so many and this record influenced so many punk bands and rock bands afterwards and um, yep you can't deny it <laughs> all right and this next one no feelings really this is more of like a a punk this is like the classic punk type song for them because it's like but again he you you know he's so intelligent that it, it part of it's clearly meant to be tongue-in-cheek you know it's just uh it's just you know on the surface the, the classic uh, punk trope of someone that's completely selfish and has no empathy right right but uh yeah and 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 it's fun to sing like that like fear later on the band fear did it but they were uh, they were serious <laughs> <laughs> well, were they? I think they were just. They struck, I think leaving was just an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they struck me as being a little bit uh, theatrical, but yeah, I guess. But yeah, I, I think that. Um, I think one of the things that was happening um, was that Malcolm would feed them ideas, and I think this was his Bengali role. And so, read something like this, or uh, you know, not that they had to be reminded of, you know, or or were coached and being had being disaffected because apparently growing up you know poor in London at that time was just 
awful. Right. Right, 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 exactly. And and just, uh, I'm going to play it now. And listen, I, I always feel like uh, Johnny Rotten doesn't get enough credit for his, just his singing, the way, his ability, because th- listen to the lyrics. There's a lot of lyrics in this song. And he <laughs> crams them all together, like, perfectly and makes them flow so perfectly with the music. And it's it's really, it's great. When you focus on it, it's amazing. So let's listen to a little bit of No Feeling. I think that is, I, I have a feeling that something the Clash maybe picked up on them because they were a big deal then, you know, it was like, it, it's it's so funny, it's amazing how they were such a big deal. And and still, I can't believe when I read about the um, the tour, what was the big tour that it was them and the Clash and all this thing that basically after the, the after they were on that TV show, the whole tour got canceled. Yeah, so the, uh, the, and then they had to go on tour secretly then. To- yeah, and it's just crazy when you think that something like that could happen, you know, that a band like no one would let them play anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if and now if if, if places know they're going to sell tickets, uh, they'll let someone play. <laughs> well, the only thing I can think of that was is in my lifetime that was similar. Uh, just off the top of my head, is like a Gigi Allen type thing. Oh yeah, well yeah, well that had. I mean, there was good reason for that. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was mostly hype in the newspapers. I mean, right. it was a perfect storm with England. It's like England is a repressive society. You know, a lot of the seventies, they're probably still living in a very Victorian uh, mindset, and then you had this press that was just into sensationalism and just looking. You know, they had like how many newspapers, like, you know, so much competition and they had to the, get the headline and get the right, right, the right, sensational thing. So I, I think that 
you know, as horrified as everyone was, the newspapers were probably so thrilled that um, they had something to talk about besides the Queen. Yeah, and and it probably also helped them sell records. I mean, I'm sure it was all part oh, yeah. of it. And I'm sure Malcolm yeah. McLaren loved all of it, you know, because that's just what he was. It all went to number one. Uh, I mean, the, this this record went to number one and their singles all went top ten. So yep, yep. Despite being banned, uh, a lot of them being banned. Yep. But this is, uh, you're right, it's a kind of a standard relationship song. Right, it's right, right. <laughs> a little bit of rotten in there, but I mean, with the with the lyrics. But um, yeah, it was amazing. Like, one thing I discovered looking up the lyrics um, is how much I didn't know them. Especially oh, right. Songs, or or yeah. like, misheard well, a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. So this, it's fun to like see the lyrics and I'm like, oh, this guy's really talented lyric writer no he is and actually this next song right here liar there's there's a line in here that i always had wrong until now just doing my homework now and i realized oh shit i've been had that wrong for how many years uh, 30 years 40 years um liar it's got to partially be about malcolm mclaren i think right yeah yeah it's yeah. gotta be right. <laughs> that's a little bit of liar <laughs> funny just I, I like i've listened to this album hundreds of times but it's funny in, in like going over this tune again i realized man paul cook's a great drummer but he's he sure leaned on that ba -ba 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 -ba, leaned on that thing a lot <laughs> 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 that's like a big thing for him um all right so when he's saying all for 40 years i thought he's been saying you're in suspicion you're in suspicion yeah it's Suspension, which is weird, kind of weird. You're in suspension. You're alive. What does he mean by that? It might be. I mean, the only thing I can think of suspension was, you know, school when you're in school and you get in trouble. But right. um, I don't know. You know. The British words tend to have take on different meanings. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I have, you know, we have our resident British uh, expert in the group, uh, in the Facebook group, Mark Bursa, and I. He seems to always, you know, be able to. Give us the background on the British stuff, so I'll go to suss him. them out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll stuff it out. Right. <laughs> All right. So now we got uh, problems, and it's funny because in this next one, he says suspension again. He says, uh, "Are you lonely? You got no one. You got your body in suspension." So obviously, they, yeah, we got to find out from him. That's got to be some kind of British thing that we don't know about. I'll be sleeping up by now, but uh, we'll check in the morning. All right, let's listen to a little bit of problems. <laughs> Are 
Yeah, you know, the, the more the more I listen to it, the more I, I realize that there's nothing musically. There's nothing groundbreaking going on, right? Really, right. but it's so much him. It's so much uh, Johnny Rotten and his delivery, you know, and <laughs> and the lyrics and just his delivery. That that's what it is, you know. I, I you know anyone else saying this could be just like a really good rock album, right? Yeah, no, he he is. Uh, you know, I don't want to give the guy too much credit. I know. He- <laughs> Oh, he'd probably really? think we're both wankers that don't know shit, <laughs> shit, all what we're talking about. Yes, but uh, no, I agree. He's, he's amazing. And this is, a, and again, another kind of a just basic relationship song. And yeah, yeah, he right. <laughs> turns it into but the problem thing. I mean, just that, that intonation, uh, especially at the end when he just like problem. Yeah, kind yeah. Of, that's another big, that's a big punk thing that even later, do you remember later when Sid tried to say, have a singing career himself? And it was so funny because mm-hmm. basically he was just trying to ape Johnny Rotten the way he said it. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> oh, poor Sid. I'll I tell you, that's the saddest thing. Uh, you've seen the yeah. Filth and the Fury. You've seen that, right? I have not seen it. I just looked it up because I, uh, you know. It's oh, like, Steve, you have to see it. I gotta see it, but it's uh, it's on some weird like streaming station. I have, yeah, I mean, I, I have the DVD of it. I'll just send it to you. Oh, okay. Well, that works too. <laughs> All right, that's gonna happen because Johnny, you'll see Johnny Rotten crying. He cries in it when talking about Sid. He's literally cries. It's well. Have you read touching, the uh, Viv, Viv Albertine book? Um, no, no, I haven't. Uh, so she was in the slits, and she was part of that whole like Susie, right, right, Sue, right, early McJones, uh, yes, all the punk yes. kids. And she wrote this great book for, about her life. Um, I think it's called, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's like boys, um, clothes, something like that. It's like some sort of like fem, demeaning feminine, anti-feminist kind of. Right, right, right. It's, it's an amazing story. And she talks about knowing Sid um, before he became Sid Vicious, uh, became a sex pistol. And what a sweet, uh, caring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Childlike person he was. And uh it's it's really you know it's like such a shock to because apparently the minute he got the spotlight, oh my god, yeah, it was just out of attention yeah. to him. He turned into a, uh, um, <clears throat> some sort of monster, but um, it's uh, yeah, it's a really great book and gives a lot of background on this scene that um, we're talking about today. Right. All right. So now we get. God Save the Queen uh, starts, I believe it starts side two. Um, I love this. I just remember love this because it was so exotic to me as an American hearing them talk about the queen, you know, and and, and railing against <laughs> the <really> monarchy, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really have any idea what the queen was all about when uh, when I was 17. It was like such a... Right. It's, it's such a foreign concept, right? Uh, and um, But I guess, uh, you know, in England... It's, it was obviously such a big deal, and we couldn't even understand how controversial it was to take a stand against the queen, who was just like this, you know, matronly old. Right, and and I read it's funny you were talking about uh, them getting to, uh, number one. I read in the UK this outsold the number one song at the time, which was Rod Stewart's "I Don't Want to Talk About It," but it mysteriously and controversially stayed at number two. <laughs> so it, it did sell more than it, but they wouldn't put it at number one. They kept Rod, uh, old Rod at uh, number. A little embarrassing for old uh, Liz. <laughs> exactly, and it was originally called No F- Future. Uh, it was No Future, and then uh, 
said no. Yeah, I think McLaren changed it. I think that was probably a good idea. You know, oh, yeah. normal. He, he had, I mean, he, he, was a, he was a maniac himself and had tons. He was one of these guys, if you, have an, if you throw enough ideas against the wall, some of them are going to be good this day, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was his genius. Just keep throwing ideas out there. Yes. Um, all right, let's listen to a little bit of God Save the Queen. I know this isn't the first time it's done in rock music, but when they when uh, Steve Jones does the power chords and then cuts it out to a choppy thing just when John starts singing, uh, yeah. you know that's yeah. just so fucking great. It's so great. He did invent it, but he certainly perfected it. Yeah, yeah, he did, especially for punk rock for this type of music. That was hugely influential when you think about it after. I mean, it, just on me personally, I mean, it's like it like makes total sense, you know, to like not your your powering chords all of a sudden you're it out and letting him as soon as he comes in. Exactly. Yeah, I'm sure we all like, stole that. Yeah. Thing I know uh, the cars do. Oh right, right. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so yeah. I read a month after this was released, some members of the band were attacked by men who supported the British monarchy, and Johnny yeah. Rotten's hand was permanently damaged. Wow. So, yeah, people did. Yeah, that's serious. a serious thing. I mean, do you ever watch the that? Um, I think it's Netflix series, uh, The Crown. I love The Crown. I love it. Sounds great. And there's that one episode where the guy, like, um, I guess he's a, I guess he's an MP or House of Lords or something, and he criticized the the Queen or the monarchy, and he got uh, attacked. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, physically and uh, you know verbally and and in the newspapers for for speaking up against it, but uh, they take that yeah, shit. But she ended up serious. taking some of the you know according to the show she ended up taking some of the criticisms to heart. Although I don't think she probably took many of these criticisms to heart. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but I have to admit that we went to England with uh, both my boys or teenagers uh, a few years ago, many years ago, five or six years, and. Um, you know, for some reason, you know, we were at, we had to show them Buckingham Palace and, and, um, and then like suddenly all these crowds started to gather and like the queen, you know, the word was out that the queen was going to be driving in her car from, uh, I guess it was one of her visits to parliament and, um, 
and we got stuck in this like growing crowd of like thousands of people who were just there waiting, probably waited an hour to watch her just drive by. Oh, Jesus. In the car. And it's just like, there's some sort of, um, you know, it's stupid. And, you know, I was singing this song in my head when I was waiting. Right. But <laughs> of course. It was, um, you know, there's something about, you know, and obviously, you know, watching The Crown and, it's propaganda, but um, it's fun. <laughs> it's, it is. It's fun, right? It's. But if I was effective, a twenty-year-old kid in London in 1976, I mean, I would be pissed off too. I right. Mean, fuck that. Yeah, fuck that. Besides England, but right, they right. just like. I mean, it's just like a class system there that, and these guys were all in that lower class, and you know, according to Rotten, it's like you're just basically told that. You know, you're never going to get anywhere. You, you're trash, and you're you're going to re. You're born trash, and you're staying trash. Right, right. But yes, there's no future. I mean, that's there's pretty, no future. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Seventeen. I never. I, I. I. I never really got this song. Like I never knew what it was really about. And then in reading it now, finally, I'm reading. It's basically like an anti hippie song. <laughs> it's like this making fun of hippies. Yeah, I think this was um, in the TV show. At least this is the one that was the first one that Jones wrote on his own on the uh, "I'm a Lazy Sod" bit. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then probably Malcolm said to, to Rotten to write an anti-hippie song, or yes. or maybe Rotten really hated hippies, which is probably true. <laughs> but uh, but uh, even though it's not like the greatest, most thoughtful lyrics, um, it's got an incredible hook. <laughs> Yeah, it does. It does. But I never understood, like, why is it called 17? Yeah, I don't know. Because he mentions the guy he's singing about in the song is uh, 29. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It always confused me. All right, let's let's do it anyway, 17. to it but uh yeah, yeah but it's it's still that's his great. point across it does <laughs> hippie he doesn't like hippies <laughs> all right so anarchy in the uk this is now a, we come to the centerpiece well the centerpiece and let's listen to it and then talk because the one thing that always okay. amazes me when i listen to this song is how powerful it is but how slow it is 
<laughs> How many beats per minute? Let's get the. I don't know, but it's really slow. And and there's an interesting story I read about uh, that. But let's listen to a little first. Anarchy in the UK. <laughs> solo like so simple but so effective I was, gonna say, was that a guitar solo or was that just kind of yeah right i mean yeah that that was uh but that's steve jones thing and also you notice i think he's using like a chorus pedal like more probably one of those small stone chorus pedals on this on the guitar throughout the whole song and i never really I, I i never realized until now how much nirvana took from this because that's because uh, kurt cobain would do that all the time small stone on all these heavy songs, you know? I, I don't see all your technical talk. I just plug right into <laughs> All right. Well, song. I'm telling you, that's what it is. And he stole it from that. And never mind. I didn't realize till now. Yeah, they called their fucking album Nevermind, too. Nevermind the Bollock, Nevermind. Um, yeah. So what I read about this was really interesting was that Malcolm McLaren, when they were first working on it, he kept telling them to make it faster because it had to be like powerful and punk and make it faster. And luckily, the engineers convinced them, no. The power is in this groove. Get the groove right, and it'll be perfect. And they threw him McLaren out of the studio, and they realized, well, all right, he can he can talk about the lyrics, but don't let him talk about the music because he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Right. Yeah, because I guess they recorded a whole or part of the album at least with different right. engineers, and who had kept trying to speed it up and turn it into like kind of a yeah, yeah, thing, exactly, probably. exactly. But yeah. But yeah, that right from the top, where uh, I think it has one of the best and most you know evil intros of any song where he sings. And this is probably the song that got me hooked was uh, when they sing right now. Yeah, yes, right. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, it's so menacing. And then my favorite part, uh, another fo- uh, vocal thing to to uh, that I keyed in on rotten on this one is when he's doing the part at the end where he says, uh, "Is this the MPLA or is this the UDA? Uh, or is this the IRA?" Oh, uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. Is this the IRA? His voice is, yeah, it's just like, oh my god. I mean, here's a guy who wasn't even singing in a band, and he has the vocal acumen to do something like that. Yeah, well, he he, he uses his voice like an instrument. He really does. 
Yes, it's yeah, it's a key instrument. Yeah, we really band. are giving away uh, too much credit. I, I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it back. I, I got some criticism okay, about him later. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's a classic song for uh, for me for misheard lyrics. I had no idea. I want to destroy passerby. And it's like I was like, well, miss right, that me one. too, me and, too. And also when he says I use the enemy, I always thought he was just saying enemy, but then yeah. I realized it's written N M E New Music Express. He's talking about the uh, the press, the New Music Express, right. and yeah. I use the yeah they use they use the press a lot. So that's so brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, well, of course, it's probably a double on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There but too. it's brilliant. It works. Yes, I think I think this is the best song of the album. It's certainly my favorite. Um, it's just one that um, when it comes on, you just can't help but you know. do yourself a favor. Don't ever listen to the Motley Crue cover. Okay, don't just, don't just don't give me a fair <laughs> one. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. But this is this is the perfect. Uh, uh, situation like some of those songs like are really good and the lyrics kind of okay and some of the lyrics are really good and the music's okay but this is one for me where the music and the lyrics really yeah yeah it, it, it all comes together yeah it's uh, perfect it's just perfect and his delivery like you said his delivery on all you know from beginning from top to bottom is just like amazing boy this is the one where he says i end them <laughs> No, that's a EMI. That's right at the end of EMI. Oh, that's EMI. He's got to throw in A and M in there too. He's got to throw A and M in. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and he, you know, he's like he, they recorded these songs, the tracks, and then he went back and put the vocals over them. And he, I think he kind of wrote for them because you hear him like improving like a few times, like in uh, Holidays in the Sun. Oh, right, like, right, right. Kind of run out of lyrics, but the song is going, and he's like, so it's like they said to him, like, um, all right, here's the track. You know, yeah, a little, riff a little, and uh, yeah, he's not, he's, he's, he isn't, he's no shrinking violet, so he's gonna. Have <laughs> <laughs> to ask him right, twice. Exactly. Um, submission is funny. This is like a novel. This is mostly like a novelty song to me because Malcolm McLaren, you know the story, right? Malcolm McLaren wanted them to write a song. Yeah, actually, I've I've learned about it in uh, in my own record uh, group there when my friend Mark. Oh, nice. Told us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what did uh, Malcolm McLaren, what, wanted them to record a song about, like, bondage and the state of Mexico? Oh, yeah, because his story was bondage right. and di- discipline and submission themed, and, and they decided, I think this is when they were starting to fuck with him, yep. and uh, instead of writing about submission, they wrote about a submarine. Yeah, and the words are really stupid, but they're funny, <laughs> they're very clever. But what always got me, I was a big, by this time I was a huge Kinks fan and the music and the, the chords are basically all day and all the night. It's like a slowed down all day and all the night. Uh, <laughs> stealing there from you the go. best. Right. So uh, let's do a little bit of submission. <laughs>
So here's a little tip for anyone that still plays in bands. This is a really fun song to cover because number one, it's super easy. You don't even have to rehearse it. You could just do it off the cuff because it's so easy <laughs> and it's easy to sing and it's fun. And, uh, and people are always like, Oh, because everyone knows it because they know this album, but it's not anything that anyone would think of covering. So it's uh, fun. Yes, actually, it was one of the first songs that I learned with my, uh, ah, my friend okay, Alex. Okay, nice. Brought um, <laughs> it to me. We played this, and I think we played Anarchy. Really? Uh, now, were in, you doing it for? Yeah. Were you still uh, mocking them, or were you? <laughs> were you? No, no. This okay. Is, yeah, this is actually. Uh, All right. Agree, Good. Accepted it, but uh, I like submission because. Um, Maybe because of that memory, but also because it has like a groove and like a backbeat, which none of the other. Right. Oh, yeah. It, 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 it definitely stands out musically on the record. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I, I always had a I always liked it as as a, as a pop yep. song. And speaking of pop songs, this uh, next one, Pretty Vacant, which basically uh, Glenn Matlock wrote this. I guess I guess maybe um, uh, Johnny has like one made one line or two lines in it, but it's basically a Glenn Matlock song. And did you hear who he said he was inspired? The riff was inspired by what song? No, 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 it's not. You're never going to get it. But because uh, even when I listened to it, I didn't get it. But he says the ABBA song S.O.S. Uh, the album ballad SOS, which I don't know, I was still trying to piece it together, but I'll play it under here and maybe some. <laughs> no yeah, I, I know. Well, that's true. That's <laughs> see, it's not just you can't. It's Steve. Okay. You could be a great bass player and write good songs, and you could still get kicked out of a band. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and supposedly, I guess Malcolm McLaren told Matlock to write a song similar to um, Blank Generation, Richard L's Blank Generation. So that was. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But it's a great song anyway. Great riff.
one thing I, I loved reading about it that I never noticed before, but uh, uh, Rotten, Johnny Rotten's just having fun singing it. And he loved, I guess he amused himself when he sang they cunt, that he was sort of saying cunt when he was saying that. So that was like he was sort of amusing himself by doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great vocal performance. And yeah, the lyrics are kind of, again, this is the first time I'm really seeing the full yeah, lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, they're, really, it's basically Malcolm really, saying, hey, write a song like this. And they're like, okay. And they're writing this song. Yeah. I mean, a, a boy band stuff. Average, <laughs> your typical boy band stuff. <laughs> there you go. New York. I love, I, I love this because, just because I love the whole story. It's like it ended up being like, like a East Coast, West Coast rap battle because they wrote New York, which is, you know, a rant about the New York uh, in general, <laughs> but especially the New York Dolls who Malcolm McLaren, you know, managed prior to the Pistols. And then uh, the New York Dolls wrote the answer song, um, London Boys, which is really not, uh, this is definitely, New York is the superior song. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Would you agree? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't, uh, you can't, I mean, they really yes, took the, oh the did. They did. And, not, here, and you, you know, know, some of it wouldn't yeah. fly today these days, but you know. <laughs> yeah, this was a song I had a, a problem with because there is a, a I mean, I wonder, you know, because were they jealous that Malcolm had like, because Malcolm has already yeah, yeah, done yeah. with yeah. the He already ruined them by making them wear those goddamn form, red right? leather suits. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why are they? I don't, I just, I guess I just don't know why. I, know. Have such <laughs> I a, think it's just maybe because uh, maybe it was just them <laughs> taking the piss and they felt like they had to. I don't know if there was really that you know, much teeth behind it, but it is pretty brutal, right? <laughs> totally. And the Dolls at the time were one of my favorite bands. So it's oh, okay, like, nice, uh, nice. I caught onto the Dolls early. Uh, well, right, late, right, right. Early for, early for me, early for me, but late for... And that was, uh, I became a, um, oh, a nice. hardcore David yeah, Johansson groupie. <laughs> Followed him around uh, New England, seeing all his shows, and he... Um, obviously still playing a lot of doll stuff then so on this one i i, I you know i have to say i'll just enjoy okay. the song but, all right um, steve's I going on record that's good the, that's uh, good steve you're fan fan to the fanboy to the end <laughs> listen to new york <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha. 
you know, it's really, I'm reading the lyrics to this and then I'm reading the New York Dolls uh, London Boys. And it's funny because they basically answered them line for line. Because he says, because he says, with, with nothing in your gut, you better keep, this is the nothing in your gut, you better keep your mouth shut. Uh, you're just a pile of shit. You're coming to this. You poor little faggot. You're sealed with a kiss. Kiss me. And then the the London Boy song. Well, you're telling me to shut my mouth. If I wasn't kissing, you wouldn't be around. You talk about faggots, you little mama's boy. You sit at home. You got a chaperone. It's like it's, it's so funny. It's like he's you know he's answering him every line for line. <laughs> That's great. I love how he writes uh, Max's Kansas City with Jack Blanche. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's great. It's it, it's fun, you know. It's and that's you know that's what Glenn Mat- Matlock just wanted the Sex Pistols to be fun. <laughs> that's why they kicked him out of the band. <laughs> um, all right, so last song, one of my favorite Sex Pistols songs. I love E and I because I I love it because it's a it's a fuck you you know to their previous label who they were on very from October seventy sixth to January seventy seven. That's how long they were on that label. But other than that, it's just a great song, too. It's a great song, and he sings it so good because he's just got, you can tell he's, uh, you know, he's singing it for real. Yes, he's, <laughs> he's got he some. Uh, he believes these words. He does. He's got some uh, vitriol there. Let's listen to EMI. <laughs> Better than him just saying, we are ruled by none. Never, ever, ever. Oh, my God. That's so great. Stand in line. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And blind acceptance is a sign of stupid fools. I love, I mean, I always love Johnny, uh, John Lydon because he does not suffer fools one tiny little bit ever. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I I told the story in the group about I got to meet him. Um, oh yeah that's right go ahead tell it again because not everyone not everyone there may be some people listening to this that aren't in the group so i gotta get my johnny runs <laughs> yeah, um, but it was uh when right after metal box or um second edition came out and he was um uh, playing in boston and they announced an in-store which just struck me as like the most bizarre thing yeah in-store um with so it was him wobble and levine um, I guess Martin Atkins was a drummer, but I don't remember him being there. Um, but 
we, yeah, so my friends and I all lined up and we were all like Sex Pistols fans and, you know, the metal box was fine, but we were like, you know, truly just kind of, you know, grooving on the idea of meeting Johnny Rotten. Right. Um, and, uh, and he was, you know, as you expect, like, you know, it was not the moment, you know, I mean, I, I was probably too scared to, to say anything. I mean, what are you going to say to Johnny Rotten? Right. Yeah, exactly. Would you sign my record, please, Mr. Rotten? Yeah. <laughs> but it was still nice pants. <laughs> to stand there and, um, you know, to be, it was just like the most surreal experience. Um, and I had, and then I saw them that night and, Again, it was like public image, like took me a little while because that, that was concert was right after the record came out. And that record takes a lot to, to um, it does. Yeah. I appreciate it. It took me years to appreciate that record. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, I still think it's a great record. I mean, there's some, you know, throwaway stuff on there for sure, but um, I, I still think it's a great record that holds up. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, anyway, that's that's my little Johnny Rotten story. I got to get that. Oh, yeah, and Tim, because he's an intense, intimidating figure, right? Yeah. Just just him. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have a conversation with him or talk to him. <laughs> in that I'd situation. Be I'd yeah. be terrified. Uh, yeah, and that's, and I've talked to, you know, there's some people who commented that they've met him in other situations, or especially women, and he was, you know, uh, very charming and... <laughs> Oh yeah, well that's a yeah that's a that's not fair almost. That could woman get away with a lot more. <laughs> yeah, I think you know listening to that, uh, I was trying to remember. Like we talked about when I finally did give in and get into the record, and I think that um, as much as I love those other songs, I think it was this song EMI, the closer that finally was like, okay, this is catchy enough, this is rocking enough. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's really just a, aside from everything else, it's just a really great song. It really yeah, is. I I, yeah. I love EMI. It's probably I, the high point of his vocal performances, like you said, because he's really biting down in every word. Yeah, yeah, right, and and just playing with it all and playing with the words and just doing. And it's funny, you know. I read years later. I remember reading, and it was so true that. Metal Box is what I was afraid when I first read about the Sex Pistols. Right. Metal Box is what I was afraid it would sound like. <laughs> I didn't know it would sound like. Never mind the box. <laughs> yeah, but I do, and I love Metal Box now, and I and I still uh, he's uh, you know I love that he's you know always uh, you know gone wherever his and he didn't you know he could have easily done kept doing what he did punk and formed right. another band and done that for the next 20 years but he didn't do that you know so you did you see any of the reunions i did i did and they were i mean it, it was funny in that he they were telling up front we're only doing this for the money you know <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> we still hate glenn <laughs> <laughs> that's wild yeah that would be yeah. fun i think uh, i i i never saw I never saw them after that. Uh, I never saw Leiden after that. But no, I did see him actually once. Um, that's right. I saw them in LA when they were doing like a free concert downtown. They With were, the, a PIL? Yeah, it was like a later day PIL. Like. Okay. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're good. I've seen PIL a couple of times with uh, Lou, that guitarist, uh, Lou something. Um, oh yeah, Lou Edmonds is in the meet. Lou Edmonds, he's great, and uh, yeah, yeah it, was, it was it was always good. I always enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it's, 
anyway, this album is like all bangers and um <laughs> it is. it's all bangers and it does like you said it really does bring you back listening to it. I mean it it just it just brings you back, right? Yeah, I mean I was really surprised like I you know I pulled the you know when I pulled out the record of the day whatever and it was the Sex Pistols, I was like, "Oh, okay, this will be fun, you know." Good old. Um, and I was really surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised at how moving it was to me. It wasn't just, it was like, like there were a few records in that group when I went back that like listening to them, like really kicked my ass and like made me feel like I felt when I was like really brought me right back to that time and like Elvis Costello and uh, The Clash and um, and this this album though was like, and and was really moving to read everyone because I think this record is not forgotten, but it's kind of you know it was like so long ago and it was so groundbreaking. Maybe uh, taken for granted a little because everyone knows yeah, it. Yeah, everyone yeah, knows yeah. It, yeah, exactly. But when you revisit it, I agree. you realize, wow, this is a fantastic record and it holds up. And um, you know, some of the themes are. Yeah, it, it could have just as easily been hype. They could have just been all hype and that's it. But it's like the music for this one album, it all, you know, the, the hype was warranted, you know? Yes, very amazing. This this band was uh, just like catching lightning in a bottle. Yep, yep, for sure. And we were all around to experience it and hear it. And uh, it's great. So, Steve, so you're so the albums, you're not you're not giving them all away, right? You're putting no. them away in like storage. <laughs> yeah, you know, I discovered that a few of them are worth a lot more money than I thought. And that's yeah, like, well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I, mean, I don't need that record that much. Um, but no, most of them I'm just going to uh, put them in storage and um, and, uh, you know, they'll they'll be there when we get home. And my son, I'll, I'm going to give my son's going to keep the stereo set up. They, you know, the kids, they love their vinyls. No, my, my daughter has all my daughter, Corey, has all my records now. And she's got two turntables, not one. Wow. And she loves it. And she plays them all the time. And it's great. It's it's awesome to think that something I sat and listened to all the time when I was a teenager. Now she's, you know, she's not a teenager anymore. She's older, but she said right. she listens to them. So it's great. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a, it's a great legacy for the for the kids, and I'm happy to to let him. You know, some of them I'm going to put away. <laughs> I'm not going to let him near my my autograph <laughs> second edition. But uh, right, <laughs> I trust him, but I don't trust his friends. You know, who knows? Yep. So you're off. So where are you off to first? You're off to. Oh yeah, we're gonna. Uh, I gotta have another hip surgery. I'm having my second hip replacement. Oh, Jesus Christ! What is it? All the people, people I know, my friends are having hip surgery now. Is this basically my my life now? Don't fight it. It's great. Come on in. The water's fine. Okay. Yeah, that's what my other. That's what my other friends always do. Simpler than I thought it would be. Although having two. With well, they they've come a long way, right? I mean, yeah, they have. yeah. And I have good surgery, but uh, once I get done with that, we're going to. Um, fly to Ireland. Uh, my wife and I have Irish passports. We're going to spend a couple months there. And then we're going to uh, make our way over to France. And then we're going to spend who knows how long. Maybe. Um, I've got the first six months booked through the summer. Um, basically, Airbnbs in different cities, uh, a month in each place. Wow, that's great. That's that's amazing. And I'll tell you, I'm I'm jealous and I'm very I just think it's just awesome that you're doing this and taking the plunge and doing it and it's great. Through the magic of the internet we'll be able to follow along with it, I'm sure. Yes. And uh, see more of your writing because you really are great. Everyone's waiting for the uh, for the book, the big book. <laughs> 
just don't make it be some kind of uh, fiction crime story or something. Don't <laughs> disappoint everyone with that. No, I think I'm Stay in your wheelhouse. Yeah, I've got this already half written, so I have to just uh, organize yeah, it. But it can do. But it's great. I've been. Uh, we've all been really enjoying it. Well, thank and, you. Uh, up again god knows where you'll be but we'll uh spend some time thanks to steve and don't forget if uh, you want to follow me i'm still i'm not going anywhere i can't i'm still here and I'm still uh for the foreseeable future you can follow me on instagram and facebook at, at that record got me high also that facebook group got me high on twitter it's at trgmh podcast you can email me at trgmh33 at gmail.com if you want to become a patron of the show just go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh Become a patron of the show. I'd appreciate it. I feel like my voice, I'm losing my voice again as, uh, as we speak. Perfect right timing. Now. Yep. Thanks again for listening. Steve, thanks so much. Safe travels. I am them. All right. We'll see you all next week. I'm Rob Elba. We're out of here. The Take this to me!